Hi folks, it's Dr. Christine Sauer here with Sparkles for Better Mental Health. And today I have a special show with Spencer Bishens here. Spencer Bishens has a master's degree from the London School of Economics and a law degree from Florida State University. And he worked for or works for the Social Security Administration in the US and worked at the Appeals Council and reviewed dozens of disability decisions. So he knows a lot about social security disability benefits and many people that have either suffered a traumatic brain injury or have a de devastating mental health disability or other disabilities need to rely for at least some time on the benefits that thankfully our uh, countries provide for those people that really need it. Welcome, Spencer. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you today. I'm so happy to have you there because many, many people that I know uh, depend on the social security disability benefits, whether that is in the US or in other civilized countries. Now, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, I, I, like, yeah. I, like, I like how you included the US as a civilized country, given <laughs> how poorly our public benefits systems are compared to places like the UK and continental Europe and Canada. Uh, so thank you for that. I'm not sure it's deserved, but thank you. It is still civilized country, although there's a lot of deficits wherever you live in this world, because I've learned one thing in my life. Nothing is perfect. So welcome again, Spencer, and tell us a little bit about why you're so passionate about Social Security disability benefits and what you're doing generally. Yeah, so I worked for the Social Security Administration in the United States for uh, 11 years. And during that time, I wrote almost 2,000 disability decisions and I reviewed several thousand more on appeal. And I also, as you noted, I have a master's degree from the London School of Economics. So I also lived in the UK for a year. And while I didn't receive disability benefits, I was receiving the healthcare. Then I was on the National Health Service in the UK. And I've obviously had private insurance in the United States. So I've experienced both systems and both worlds. And we have a lot of problems in the United States within everything, healthcare, public benefits. Um, but there are a lot of people who need these benefits, right? The disability system in the United States has almost 10 million current recipients and over a million people who apply every single year. And uh, and, the, and the system doesn't treat those people very well. And I learned that when I worked for Social Security and I saw how badly people needed the benefits. I saw their medical records. I saw why they couldn't work. And I also saw why even though they couldn't work, they had so much difficulty accessing the benefits that they're told they should be entitled to. That's why in the United States, politicians will often call them entitlements. And yet, the vast majority of people are denied twice and have to wait 18, 24 months before they can get in front of a judge. And of course, when you can't work and you can't pay your rent, you can't buy food, you can't go 18 to 24 months, right? So the system is very poorly designed. It's not set up to help the people who need it. It's very difficult to access the benefits. There's all kinds of barriers that the system is intentionally erecting specifically to prevent people from accessing these benefits. 
And over my 11 years with the agency, I was able through this large sample size to understand what was happening and why, and to see that it was no accident, that there's a level of intentionality there. And so when I left social security in 2021, I wanted to get this knowledge out to people. I wanted people to understand you can't just file a public benefits application, a disability application, and cross your fingers and hope. You also can't trust the person at the social security office who's telling you, oh, just file the application and we'll approve it because they're not going to, they're lying to you or they don't know what's going on. It's one or the other. So I wanted people to understand and I put it right in the subtitle of my book. It's called Social Security Disability Revealed. I wanted people to understand why it's so hard to access the benefits but also, that's not really useful unless you also understand what you can do about it. That's why I wrote the book. I want to get that information out to people to try and, and change this, to turn the system on its head so that Social Security has a more difficult time denying 70% of applicants because every applicant truly feels they're disabled. Every applicant has medical evidence and every applicant deserves a fair review of that evidence. And currently they're not getting it. Wow, now that is uh, probably new information for many people. For me as a physician, I know of all the pressures that already were in Germany, which has a better disability system than the States. But still we were told as physicians not to approve anything and not to write reports. And actually I lost my contract with workers comp in Germany because as an allergologist, I wrote honest reports about allergies and that why they couldn't work. And they told me, you can't do that. We have to accept their claims because of your reports. And I lost the contract because of that, because I was too nice to the client. Yeah. So, well, that, is, so that is, social, that is what so, they do. Yeah, well, Social Security's actually figured out a better way to deny claims than in Germany. Wow. Because what Social Security will do in the United States is it basically doesn't matter what you write in the report. You can say someone has allergies or brain injury and they can't work. And what Social Security will do is they'll say, okay, we recognize your doctor and you say your patient can't work. But that doesn't mean the person's disabled because disabled in the United States is not a medical term. So if you say my patient can't work or my patient is disabled, that has absolutely zero value in a social security wow. disability claim because you're a doctor and that's a medical opinion. But whether someone is disabled, that is a legal term and only the judge in a disability claim can decide if someone meets the legal definition of disability. So if you say my patient can't work, the judge will say, that's up for me to decide, not you. If you say my patient's disabled, the judge will say, no, no, I decide if someone's disabled, not you, doctor, your opinion is irrelevant. So I talk in the book about the fact that the patients have to know what has to be in a medical report and in a medical opinion, because the, most doctors don't know. And I'd love for doctors to also read my book so they know how to help their patients and what to put in a medical opinion. Because saying things like my patient can't work, my patient's disabled, my patient it has a difficult time, none of that holds any value in a social security disability claim. There are pieces of information that can go in a medical report or a medical opinion that do hold value, but you have to, it's not intuitive. You have to know what social security will accept 
in order to know what to put in that report, or if you're the patient, what to have your doctor put in your report so that it will hold value in a social security claim so that the judge can't ignore it. But if you don't know how to do that, if you don't know the format that that needs to take, judge is just gonna ignore it and say, nope, that's my decision. Throw that out, I'll make my own call as to whether you're disabled or not. Wow, that is big, big, big information and probably big news for many people, not just doctors, that don't know that the judge makes the, inform the, the decision. We know the judge makes the last decision, but that it really doesn't depend on what the doctor thinks is amazing. And what the patient thinks, we know that it doesn't matter to most insurances. Now, uh, what is in your experience the judge that makes the judgment base their decision on? Because they have to base it on something. Right. So I talk about in part three of my book who the judges are and how they're chosen and what their backgrounds are, because all of that matters. The judges are humans and there's over a thousand of them across the country. But and, and they're all lawyers. And so they're all people who come from different places with different legal backgrounds, with very different opinions about when someone can and cannot work. You have some judges who are called high payers who pay 80% of their cases and deny 20%, but you have a lot of low payer judges too who will only pay about 20% and deny 80%. And then of course you have judges in the middle. And so as you can see, a lot of this is, could, could potentially be luck of the draw, what kind of judge you get. But what I like to do, I like to remind people that even a low paying judge pays 20% of their cases. So if they're holding five hearings in a day, and that's pretty typical by the way, because judges decide about 50 cases per month, which means they're only spending a few hours on each case. And most cases have 800, 1000 pages of medical evidence. They have to read all that evidence, hold the hearing, review the evidence, do the decision, and they get about three to four hours. So it is a lot. It's a very fast-paced environment. But, he, but if a judge is holding five hearings a day, even if they're a low payer, they're paying one of those five. And so the patient's goal, of course, is to become that one out of five. Assume you're going to get a bad judge, a low-paying judge, a difficult judge, and figure out how can I be that one out of five? What can I do? What are the strategies I can employ? And that's what I talk about in the book. The types of evidence you need to get, what you need to have in your medical opinions from your doctors, how to find a representative and who you should hire to represent you at your hearing, what to say and not say in your testimony, because there are certain things, even if they're true, if you say them, it's gonna make the judge more likely to deny your claim. And there are other things that you might think would make a judge deny your claim that actually make it more likely to approve your claim. Can I give you an example? So most people think if I tell the judge I can work, they'll deny my claim. Because if I can work, I don't need disability. But it's actually the opposite. Judges don't like hearing someone come into a hearing and say, I can't work, I can't do anything, I'm, I'm homebound. They don't like hearing that because they think it's an exaggeration. But if you come in and say, I've tried to work, sometimes I work part-time. Hey judge, I worked for three months and I couldn't sustain it, but I tried my best. Or I mow lawns on weekends, or I teach at my church's Sunday school. 
if you can do something, even if you can't work full time, showing the judge that you're trying and that you're doing your best makes judges feel better about granting you benefits because they feel like you're at least trying your best eat to work through your impairments. And so if people don't know better, they'll think I have to tell the judge I can't do anything. But actually the better strategy, as I talk about in the book, is to tell the judge all the things you can do, even though you can't work full time. And that tends to make even low paying judges feel better about approving your claim. So that's just one of the strategies that it's not intuitive, but when you think about the rationale, it becomes more intuitive. You can understand why a judge is more willing to pay someone who's, who admits that there are certain things they can do. Now, let, let me ask you, what in your experience going through all those claims, are the people that really try to get a benefit that they wouldn't be entitled to, that they simulate that they're really not sick? Yeah, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do talk about this in the book because this is one of these things that people just kind of assume if there's a government program, there's fraud and abuse and waste involved. But that that waste is, as I talk about in the book, the waste is not coming from claimants. The system itself is very wasteful. We spend way too much money on a system that doesn't really help the people that it needs to help. But the actual claimants, there's just not fraud in the system. And I explain in the book why that's the case. But just a summary, it costs too much as far as time and literally money, because doctors are expensive in the United States and probably in other countries as well. It's expensive to go see a doctor. It costs a lot of money to see a psychiatrist. And you have to have medical evidence showing that you've been disabled for Social Security for at least 12 months. And you can't have gaps in there. So if you think about the amount of time and cost and effort that it takes to set up a record, a medical record for a social security disability claim, meanwhile, during that time, by definition, you cannot be working full time. It costs a lot to show that you're disabled to what? If you're approved, you get 1500 bucks a month in benefits. The economics don't make sense for anyone to come through the system in a fraudulent way. It just costs too much to, to, to fake a disability and you never get that, that money back. Um, someone else said to me, it's a negative return on your investment. And that's absolutely true. So why would anyone try and defraud a system where they're gonna spend more than they'll ever get back in benefits? But that, the good news is that means, and I can confirm this through my 11 years of experience, that everyone who files a social security disability claim truly believes they are disabled. It doesn't mean they're gonna be approved. It doesn't mean they meet the strict legal requirements of the definition of disability. What it does mean is it's not fraud. If you truly in good faith believe that you are disabled and you file that claim in good faith and you're making an argument to the judge in good faith because that you truly believe you can't work, even if you're found not disabled, it's not fraud, it's not abusing the system. And it's not a waste of anyone's time. So if you truly believe that you can't work because of a medical impairment, file a disability claim. You're paying into the system. And even if you don't end up winning in the end, you did nothing wrong. Some people are found disabled. Some people are found not disabled. In the United States, Social Security has a really, really strict definition. And not everyone's going to be found disabled. It doesn't mean they're doing anything wrong.
I think that's liberating for some people that feel really guilty when they need to access that. Now, let me ask you, this sounds like a really complex and complicated process. Many people that I know that had either a traumatic brain injury or have severe mental uh, challenges, they can't think clearly. They can't form a strategy in their brain anymore because it's traumatized. Uh, what can they do when they need benefits? Do they end uh, up necessarily only, on the streets? Right. Not only can they not think or strategize, but if you're not working and you don't have insurance, maybe you can't go see a doctor or a psychiatrist. Wow. Or if you can, maybe you're not able to afford the right kind of source because some sources like psychiatrists can be really expensive. Maybe you can't get your medical records because either you can't find them or you can't access them or you can't afford them or your particular medical source, if you're seeing a counselor, just doesn't keep good written records. So there's all kinds of barriers for people with all kinds of impairments. With mental health impairments, it's even more difficult. And with something like a brain injury, when you can't advocate for yourself, it could be near impossible, right? So I like to say that I think the best strategy is a three-pronged approach. It is important for the claimant to be involved. That's number one. The claimant is the first person because the claimant is the person who knows the most about their own symptoms and conditions and why they can't work. And that's the person who's going to have to actually testify in the hearing and tell the judge, here's why I can't work. But it's also good to have a professional, knowledgeable social security representative. This person is usually an attorney. And I explain in the book how to find them, who they are, how their businesses function, how they get paid, how you can find and hire one. And of course, if you don't like your representative, how you can fire a representative and find a new one. My book is not a do-it-yourself book. I, I have a chapter called Don't DIY This. There's a lot of information in this book, but it's not for the purpose of doing it yourself. It's to educate the claimant so that they can work with their professional representative to help them present their case. But your lawyer can only do so much, right? Because your lawyer can't go to doctors with you. They can't help you get your medical records. They can help present the case that you have to the judge and handle the legal aspects of that. But the claimant still needs to be involved. But there's a third person. If the claimant can't personally be very actively involved, I recommend there, that that claimant involve a third person, an advocate. It could be a friend, a family member, maybe even a professional advocate, but usually someone close to you, a, a close friend or family member is going to be the best person in this situation. Bring that person to your doctor appointment with you and tell the doctor, I want this person in the room with me. I'm not going to remember everything. I want this person to hear what you're saying. I want this, have, have that, that advocate read this book as well. So they can go to your doctor for you. They can drive over there and say, hey, I need to get Bill's medical records for him. Here's an authorization. He's, he's telling me I can get his records. Can you give me his records, please? Get someone else involved so that they can be your voice. And again, the three of you all work together, right? The claimant, your non-professional advocate, and your professional representative all work together to present your case to the Social Security Administration. And I really feel like that's the formula for the best possible outcome in your case. Wow, now uh, let's ask one question. That lawyer that you need, who pays for that? If that's, a great, that's a great question. And so I talk about it in the book. 
Um, you don't have to pay anything up front to a representative. A lot of representatives will advertise on TV and they'll say no fee unless you win. And in the United States, that is true. You don't pay the representative up front and you don't have to pay them personally. The way they get paid, and I obviously explain this in detail in the book, but they get paid from your past due benefits. So let's say you apply in 2020 and you finally get approved in 2022. Well, there's two years of benefits that the government owes you for the last two years. So those are called past due benefits. And the way it works is the representative can get 25% of only those past due benefits and it's capped at $7,200. That number just went up last month from $6,000 up to $7,200. And that's it. So if your past due benefits are $30,000, they only get $7,200. But if they're $20,000, they can get 25% of it or $5,000. They don't get any of your future benefits. They don't get your Medicare benefits, which is a healthcare program in the United States that people who are disabled can have access to well before they're 65. And, but for what are you getting for that $7,200? You're getting a professional representative. Most of these representatives only do social security cases. They know what they're doing. They know the judges, they know the law, they know how to present the evidence and they know how to make an argument on your behalf to, to present your case in the best possible light. And I present a situation in the book where a person, if they don't hire a representative, they're denied. But if that same person in that same situation had a representative, they would have been approved. Because I want people to understand how important it is to have that representative. Reading my book and knowing about the process is important, but it's not a substitute for an expert. Every Most people have a car. I don't personally. Some people who live in cities don't have one. But anyone who has had a car in their life knows Cars break down. Sometimes you take the car in and the mechanic says, it's gonna be about 3000 bucks for this problem with your engine. You wanna learn about what that problem is so you know why you're spending 3000 bucks, but you're not gonna personally fix the engine. You wanna understand it and you want the mechanic to handle actually fixing it. It's the same kind of thing. You should understand the system. You should know how the system works. You should know how you can prepare for your hearing but you also need a professional on your side who can help you be that mechanic and help you get across the finish line. Yeah, that is a very good point. And uh, thanks you for explaining that. And I know in other countries there's legal aid or similar systems available too. Uh, so you get the legal representation, especially important if you don't have family or close friends. And I personally have advocated for a few clients and family members myself because it is not easy and some people can't properly read or write or they lost the ability due to a traumatic brain injury. And by themselves, they would never be able to navigate that system. They need the help. The way the lawyers are paid in the United States is actually one of the few things I like about the current social security system because you never even pay the lawyer. Social security will pay your lawyer directly and they'll send you the rest of your benefits. And it's only if you're approved and it all happens automatically. The lawyer doesn't have to worry about being paid and you don't have to worry about paying them. And, and that part is great. There's a lot of other really big problems with this system, but 
but how the representatives get paid is actually really fantastic for everyone involved. And it makes it really easy to find and hire a representative and make sure that you have a professional on your side, making sure that something insignificant or silly doesn't happen. Like you, you miss your appeal window or you say something that you're hearing that you shouldn't have said. You wanna make sure that you go to the judge and present your case in the most professional manner possible. Show the judge that you're taking it seriously, that you know what's going on, that you know the definition uh, definition of disability, so that you can convince that judge that you are disabled. Oh, Spencer, uh, that is that is mind-boggling, and that is important information that any of the listeners has to know. Because even if you're not disabled, you probably know somebody that suffers from some kind of a disability, and uh, may need it. That system or will need it, and it can prevent people from actually becoming homeless, which is a terrible situation, or just giving up and resorting in uh, alcoholism or any other destructive uh, behavior. So thank you very yeah. much. Now, anybody that uh, wants that book, and by now everybody is keen on getting it, where they can they get it? Yeah. Everybody should want it because you or someone you know at some point will miss some work because of an injury or illness at some point. It happens to everyone. So it's really important to know the disability system in the United States if you or anyone you know live or work in the United States. So you can go to our website, visionspublishing.com. That's B-I-S-H-I-N-S publishing.com. We have a full description of the book, the table of contents, interviews and articles, and links to all the different places to get the book. It's available in paperback and ebook on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Scribd. If you want to support a local bookstore, you can go through bookshop.org. And I also have all of the information on there for you to bring to your local library so that you can just hand it to them and say, I want you to get me this book in paperback and ebook. It's got all of my information, the ISBN, everything the library needs to acquire the book for you so that you can enjoy it and then someone else can also enjoy it once your library has acquired it. Wow, Spencer, thank you. And I make sure underneath the video and in all the materials that, that link to that website where you can get the book. Yeah, it's, and links link to Please get it. Yeah, and links to our social media if you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's all there as well. And it all directs you back to the website so you can get the book. And again, if you can't afford the book, go tell your library you want it and they'll get it. Lots of libraries across the United States already have it. Now, Spencer, another question within the book on their website. Is there some way to contact you if they have a question or anything like that? There absolutely is. So our social media links are all on there. There's also a link for contact where you can email us. I will say, because I'm a lawyer, I may not be able to answer your personal questions about your personal situation because that's something you would need to hire your own representative for, but I can give you resources or suggestions. Uh, so, you know, feel free to reach out if anyone has any questions. There's a lot of information in this book and the feedback that we've had has been really, really positive with people telling us I wish I had known this before I filed my claim. I wish I had known this before my hearing. Thank you for telling me these things. I really need to know this stuff. So uh, I'm happy to answer questions, but also possibly I've already answered the question in the books. But if you read the book and you still have a question, feel free to reach out. 
maybe I'll do a sequel. Ah, that sounds amazing, Spencer. I can't wait for it. And that really plugs an important hole. And I'm sure it's not just for people in the US important, because if you have to file a claim in other systems, the criteria are similar, even though the percentages might vary and the technicalities. But the way the judges look at people that may or may not have a disability in the judge's mind <laughs> are, of course, different or, or similar, because that's what you learn in, in, in law school, probably, how to evaluate the law. <laughs> not well, being a lawyer there, myself, I'm not that sure about it. There, there are a lot of major differences. Uh, I know we're out of time, but one major difference is healthcare. Every other civilized country on this planet has a good public health care system where people can access their records really easily. And that's one of the major, major problems in the United States. Lack of access to care, especially once you can't work and lose your health insurance, and lack of access to records. And when you combine lack of access to care and lack of access to records, that's one of the reasons we have such negative outcomes when it comes to social security disability claims. It's not that people can't work, it's that people can't see medical sources, and so they can't prove they can't work. And it's really important to know what to do when you're in that situation. I have advice on ways to get free or reduced healthcare outside, kind of thinking outside the box as far as what sources could I see so I could get good records. We have some challenges in the United States that Canada or the UK or continental Europe don't necessarily have. But I do talk about some of those in the book. I also talk about a universal basic income system. And uh, yeah, it's all in there. Social Security Disability Revealed. I'll tell you why it's so hard to access benefits, but I will also tell you what you can do about it. Wow. So if you're listening and watching, get that book. I highly recommend it. Uh, I'll go on your website, get it right now myself, and I'll probably give a few copies away to clients that I know and friends and family. Because sadly, in Nova Scotia, many people need disability benefits and they get denied just as bad. Uh, that said, thank you so much for being on the show, Spencer. Uh, your book is a godsend to many people. Thank you for writing it. Thank you for sharing that information. Many people wouldn't have would have just said, "Well, I don't care. I made my money in Social Security. I got a good good pension out of it, and what do I care about other people?" So, thank you for caring. Yeah, and even people who work, they don't care until one day you get injured or sick, and then you can't work, and all of a sudden you care. So. Educate yourself, get it for someone else. It's important to know about it. You're paying into the system. It's important to know what you're getting for that money. Wow, very good point. Thank you again, Spencer. And that was it for this episode of Sparkles for Better Mental Health, Growth in Five Dimensions. And I think today we experienced massive growth in knowledge about the social security approval system, especially in the US, but also in other countries. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.